Hello, and welcome to Way Too Twog's Bagpipe and History Podcast, where I, your host Jeremy, explores the possible repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers. Come and let's enjoy some tunes. to the season finale yay uh had a bunch of different plans for what this episode would look like but um after talking with barry for an hour and then spending um quite a few weeks kind of looking through his collection of tunes and now going on a bit of an elizabeth ross um deep dive this is going to be kind of a normal episode rather than any sort of big finale. So we're going to look at quite a few tunes from Barry's collection, Gathering of the Clans, that he and I were talking about on the last episode, as well as some of their concordances that show up in Eliza Ross's manuscript from 1812 uh, and some other concordances. And then also just a couple tunes that I'm thinking that I've kind of been playing and working on and want to include in the best of season five album. And since this is the last episode of season five, I've got to put it on here. Otherwise it's just tunes that I like, which is maybe what I should be doing anyway, but that's the way it works. Um, you know, I recently released uh, pay the pipe maker, which, um, did a little bit of a live stream, but didn't have nearly the lead up to it as I did with oyster eyes rant. And, uh, but still it was cool to see a couple of folks show up and, uh, watch me play. And I've gotten some really lovely feedback from folks listening to that album. You can buy hard copies of it now. So I'll have a link in the show notes to the Bandcamp link where you can get it immediately. Or if you want a CD, you can order it there too. I think they will ship to the UK. I'm not hundred percent sure about that. Um, using a service called Kanaki, which seems to be great. Um, heard good things about it from other musicians and, uh, yeah, getting a copy of it to look at. It's, it's pretty all right. The, um, trying to get a hard copy of Oysterwise rant printed as well, but that's taking longer for me to kind of get a chance to look at it before posting the link. So by the time this episode goes live, uh, if Oysterwise rants, um, if that if it's good, I'll, I'll post a link in the show notes there too. So you can get a hard copy of that if you like. Um, yeah, still planning to do another album in February or March, um, called, um, Bannocks of Barley Meal probably, which will be kind of the best of season five. Lots of good tunes that I'm looking forward to putting on there. Um, and some of them that you'll be hearing on this episode. Uh, mostly that is the Exeter, uh, Extra Change and Cave of Enchantment. These are two tunes from uh, Strait and Skillern's Country Dance Book from the 1770s. I really, you know, I, I wanted to have like a couple sets and looking through those country dance books, especially from the 1770s, for some reason, there's just so many good tunes in there. And Cave of Enchantment and Exeter Change are on the same page of Strait and Skillern's book, and they work really well as a set, I think. And so I played them in Island Pipes, and then I have been funking, uh, funkying around a bit with them on Highland Pipes, too. So we're going to listen to that on this episode. Um, and I guess that's really the only big detour. Otherwise, it is uh, Eliza Ross and Barry Shears is sort of the, the main thrust here. Uh, so anyway, I guess 
we should get started. Uh, it's been fun looking through Barry's collection. There's a lot of really good tunes in there. Some that have, you know, clearly broken through and are very mainstream. Uh, so I guess let's just start with that. Here's Brenda Stubberts. As, um, as Barry mentioned, he wasn't really putting in natural season there. Um, so this is his setting uh, from Gathering Our Clans, where it goes kind of up rather than the C natural, which I feel like it's important for me to play because if I have a shortcoming or a stylistic choice that I overuse, it's playing that C natural and F natural. So here is me playing Brenda Stibberts without it. And there's a little bit of me going into the next tune, which is Colonel McBain's Fancy. I don't understand how this isn't everyone's favorite tune in piping. Um, really feels to me like it should have broke through, just like Brenda Stubberts did. Um, this tune as well, uh, it does work pretty good as a set. I decided not to include it as a set there with Brenda Stubberts just because I didn't like that version of it. And frankly, I'm leaving town. I need to finish this episode, so I'm not going to go recording again. Uh, anyway, so here is Colonel McBain's Fancy, also from Gathering of the Clans. So this is, you know, I'm playing mostly Colonel McBain's Fancy from uh, Gathering of the Clans. It does show up in the McNeil manuscript. So one of the things that's um, kind of so great about Play It Like You Sing It, you know, this is nearly 30 years later of kind of Barry's research and um, publishing style. Uh, and so in Gathering of the Clans, or in um, Play It Like You Sing It, he's got a whole manuscript from uh, Cape Breton Piper McNeil. Um, and probably started around 1895. Um, so yeah, this is the manuscript belonged to Captain Angus McNeil. Um, 
Yeah, probably started around 1895, certainly kind of added to it. But it has Colonel McBain's fancy in there, uh, so definitely a tune that uh, Piper was was playing. Um, it's slightly different from Gathering of the Clans setting, but, but not enough to make me re-record it. <laughs> anyway, uh, good tune, though. Real solid tune. Big popular one for fiddle players in Cape Breton. Um, but yeah, sounds, sounds cracking good on pipes, I think. All right, next let's do, uh, another tune that, um, quite fond of, I love it. I love a petticoat in a title of a tune. So this is the Dunn Petticoat, also from Gathering of the Clans. So there's the Dun Petticoat. Uh, like I said, that shows up in McNeil's manuscript um, and some other places too. I didn't find it, I didn't go looking for it honestly, but I didn't find it in Eliza Ross's manuscript today. But I did find another Dun tune. So this is the Dun Colored Tailor. And it's a really cool tune and it uses some high Bs. Uh, in fact, a lot of the tunes in Eliza Ross's 1812-ish manuscript uses those high Bs and a couple of high Cs to the point where I'm thinking that maybe it's an indication that that was a trend because it's sort of a dull range for fiddlers but a very interesting range for highland pipers anyway so here is the dun colored tailor from eliza ross's manuscript cool tune uh looking at the notes in the version of the elizabeth ross manuscript it doesn't seem like there's any other concordances with that tune at all um so if you recognize it let me know all right let's go back to barry shears this is another tune that shows up in a bunch of places including the mcneil manuscript and gathering of the clans it is go immediately uh, and it kind of reminds me of the christmas carol we saw three ships uh however that goes at least the second part anyway here's the tune Thank you. 
All right, next we're gonna play another tune that I'm kind of surprised hasn't broken into the mainstream kind of piping scene, although um, maybe I'm just wrong and I don't recognize it, but it, it is pretty challenging. I've had uh, many, uh, I've been struggling a lot to get a take of it that I'm pleased with and I'm still not quite there. Um, this is The Sound of Mall, uh, again, in several places. In the, uh, yeah, apparently there's another tune called The Sound of Mall, so by the time it came to play it like you sing it, Barry has retitled it The Deceitful, or The Counterfeit, sorry, The Counterfeit's uh, Sound of Mall. But it's a lovely tune. I uh, kind of think it sounds better slower than a reel, uh, so that's what I'm going for here. Alright, so on the episode last week, I played several tunes that Barry composed uh, that he was playing. So he was playing tunes that he composed. These are all tunes that he's transcribed and definitely put his spin on um, and kind of given that Kate Benton, uh, Kate Brenton flair to. This tune is uh, finally me playing one that he composed outright. So this is a jig. I wanted to play a jig from the collection too. There's not many of them, but there are, are some. And this one is called Mary Jane Kelly. Um, you might have noticed some fluctuations between the tunes. I'm kind of struggling with reeds right now to the point where I actually uh, gave up on using my Hardy channer and switched back to a McCallum kind of band channer. So I think that's what this um, is recorded on. So you can hear pipe band frequency, uh, Jeremy piping here. Anyway, here's Mary Jane Kelly, lovely tune. And here is a uh, here's another tune that Barry and I talked about a little bit last week. This is the night we had the goats. Um, I wound up looking for this in Eliza Ross's manuscript too. So, um, well, here I'll just play Barry's setting from Gathering the Clans first, and then we'll talk about the Ross settings and the song. But anyway, here it is: the night we had the goats. Mm -hmm. 
So again, in Ross's setting, we've got the night we had the goats. A little bit different in terms of dotting and cutting. Makes that's sort of irrelevant to what I'm going to say here. But the interesting thing, again, Ross's setting has a high B and a high C in this one. Um, just looking through that Ross manuscript, there are so many tunes that have a high B um, and that's it. Which, again, it just seems like that is a little too dull of a reach for fiddle tunes, but would be kind of the perfect reach for a Highland Piper that played high Bs and an occasional high C. I think The Night We Had the Goats has a high C as well. I ran out of time to try it on Highland Pipes, so I just have it recorded for you here on Whistle. Um, but yeah, pretty much the same tune, but with a high B and a high C thrown in. And I just think, you know, there's so many tunes um, that show up in Ross and, and Kate Brenton that I... And with Barry commenting, like mentioning seeing chanters from Cape Breton, or at least one chanter that had that groove where the thumbnail would go to kind of ideally guide your hand to get that high A or high B rather, or just from nature of like kind of always diving your thumbnail into that spot. I'm finding as I go on and on, like I don't really need any guide about how to do it. My my thumb has trained itself like it is definitely muscle memory just putting itself in the right position um but i can see where if i had a long nail and was constantly chipping away at that same place where a groove might form eventually i'm not sure get back to me in about um 10 years of doing high b's and i'll let you know if there's naturally a groove in my channel uh anyway so here it is on whistle the night we had the goats from eliza ross's 1812-ish uh, manuscript And I mentioned it in the discussion with Barry about kind of how absurd the lyrics are in English, but uh, I want to make sure that you get to have it stuck in your head just as well as I did. So here it is again with me singing the English um, words to the song. The night we had the goats, we had three goats. The night we had the goats, three young goats. The night we had the goats, we had three goats. The night we had the goats, three young goats. We had the three, yes, the three, yes, the three goats. We had the three, the three young goats. We had the three, the three, three goats. We had the three, yes, the three young goats. Just really glorious, glorious stuff. Um, so yeah, if you want to actually look at the Gaelic, it was um, it's in the the collection here, so you can actually read the original lyrics. Interestingly, the lyrics um, for the night we had the goats uh, were collected in Cape Breton. So this is a Cape Breton text collected by John Shaw uh, that kind of has these lyrics. So this collection, I'm going to be kind of commenting on a little bit here of the Elizabeth Ross manuscript. There's a lovely edited version uh, by uh, Peter Cook, Marag McLeod, and Colm O'Beal. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Pretty sure I'm not. Um, 
but it's available online. I downloaded it off of Ross's music page. You can look at it on the School of Scottish Studies uh, website, too. Actually, that might have been where I downloaded it from, was the School of Scottish Studies. Anyway, I'll have a link so you can go look at it. Um, but there's great stuff in here. It does make an assumption. I'll have to look at it again more clearly because it, it states a couple times in the notes that, oh, this must be a fiddle tune because there's a high B as opposed to how most pipers have it without a high B. Um, so I don't know. That's one of the reasons why I'm thinking more and more that this might be a really cool thing to dig into as, you know, is just just understand um, Elizabeth Jane Ross or Lady Doily, kind of what her deal was, <laughs> who were the musicians she's recording, and is it possible that uh, some of these tunes are, you know, kind of showing a tradition of playing high Bs and high Cs and Highland Pipes in a little bit more density, uh, and like I said, 1812. So, yeah, let's uh, let's do another one. This is sort of what sent me one of the tunes I went looking for as well as the the Gray Old Lady of Rosse. And this is a tune that shows up in a bunch of different collections, generally the Gray Hag or the Old Hag. Uh, it's, again, a pretty common Scottish uh, Gaelic song. Um, so I'll have links to a bunch of different uh, recordings of Gaelic singers singing it um, from the Kister Riches website, if you want to check it out. This is another kind of funny... Um, it's just, again, it's sort of funny where everything seems really important and beautiful when you're singing the Gaelic verse, but the actual lyrics are pretty pretty out there. Um, one of these days, I would like to have a discussion about the use of hag in, you know, lyrics uh, or in titles of tunes. Because, um, like, it shows up a bunch. There's this issue in Ojibwe where some things are, like, kind of poorly translated. So, old lady in English is the word that's used for trans, uh, translation of mindemuye. Uh, mindemuye, which means, like, that which holds us together. So, like, old lady to mindemuye is a really bad translation, right? Um, but there's also, um, in Ojibwe settings, there's, like, there's a tendency to be derogatory about items that you hold dear. Um, so, like, when you're referring to your your wife or your significant other or something, you might say, uh, like, nindikweimish or nindinanimish, um, which is, like, my my old lady or my dirty old lady or my dirty old man or my old man, that kind of thing. And real old-time Ojibwe speakers will put that ish, kind of that diminutive sound uh, or pejorative or whatever, on anything that they like have possession of as well as things that they hold dear. Um, and some argue like, oh, this is because of their humility. Um, there's also an Ojibwe kind of old school tradition, culture value that if you say something is nice, you kind of are supposed to, you're supposed to give that to that person as a gift. So if I go up like, oh man, nice car, like, oh, well here, if you need it, you can have it. Um, it isn't practiced too much these days, but uh, I've heard other people speculate that maybe that's why uh, real old school Ojibwe speakers tend to refer to every single thing that they hold dear as being dirty, broken, or not of value. So nobody wants it, um, but who knows? So I'm wondering if hag I'm hoping, I guess, <laughs> but I'm wondering if Hag has like a similar thing going on that we see Hag a lot. But I, I'm not familiar with a male equivalent to Hag that shows up in titles, so I'm guessing that it isn't this. I'm guessing it isn't some. Oh no, it's it's actually a sign of respect and love. Um, but anyway, I'm hoping to have a discussion with somebody next year, if if at all possible, that is kind of good Gaelic speaker and understands the stuff to walk me through the intricacies of the patriarchy of Gaelic language. If, um, 
like how that works out. But, uh, but yeah, so if you know of anybody that has had these conversations and, uh, where to, where to look to for some resources to understand it, I've, I've gone looking two or three times and kind of failed. Um, anyway, so let's look at the old gray lady, um, the gray lady of Rossi. So the lyrics anyway, that's what we were talking about. Um, are kind of funny, uh, especially looking at the, uh, one of the recordings off Kiss to Riches, it's like a very elaborate choral setting. Like a choir is singing this with, you know, tenors, altos, like different levels of music. And it sounds like, oh, this is just glorious church music. And the, the lyrics are, may God give forgiveness to the gray hag of Rosse. She stole the creel of seaweed from the fat hag of Rona. The gray hag of Rosse, I would go gray before I'd take her. The gray hag of Rosse and the fat hag of Rona. The black hag of the cutties, she'd swallow a lot of them. The black hag of the cutties, the fat hag of Rona. But in Gaelic, it just sounds like a lovely, lovely song. Um, I don't know, kids kids rhymes, uh, maybe too. And there's quite a lot of interesting information about like kids rhymes and like, uh, so yeah, there's either something being lost in translation or absolutely nothing being lost in translation. And I meant to think this is fun, funny and goofy and maybe more than a little uh, concerned about what it's telling us about, you know, like Galtacht, um opinion of older women uh anyway here is the gray hag of or the gray lady of uh rossi and i'll do even though it's not chronological we'll do um well you know what actually i'm gonna cut to a conversation that i had to kind of remove for time so this is a bit of a chat between Barry and I playing, or Barry and I talking from last uh, last episode, where I ask him about the the Grey Hag of Rossi, and then I'll come back. Longer than I meant to, but um, talking about oh, Ian Dal Mackay, I was looking at, I was thinking about probably not for this episode, but if I do a follow up one of looking at some of the settings, like your setting versus some of the older ones, like how they compare. Um, and I was looking at the gray old lady of Rossi, which is in um, Gunn's collection too, right? Uh, yeah, and I think this is where I got, con- I mean, it's not the only place. I've always had this assumption that Cape Breton piping just meant everything's played like a really dotted and cut in stress bay as opposed to the opposite. But um, but you have dotting and cutting in this and Gunn doesn't. And so I was I was playing it really... You know, but I should probably smooth that out significantly. You think? Yeah, yeah. And the problem with the and my only regret about the first book is that I was I was writing the tunes out <coughs> as per oh, okay. convention, um, and so some of those tunes, like the Scottsville reel, I'm I'm going to redo in this book because I've got some more information on the composer. But I've taken the dots yeah. and cuts out altogether. Um, but uh, for that tune, and um, I, I I learned Alex, kind of like yeah. Alex style now, and so it's. sort of yeah. that's what you want well that's maybe what you want but i don't think that's what i got so uh here is me playing um the gathering of the clan setting kind of sorta of uh great lady of rossi mm-hmm. 
Yeah, this is definitely an awesome tune that I'm going to be spending some more time with. Uh, let's look at Eliza Ross's setting. Once again, this has a high B in it um, and is a pretty awesome tune. doesn't have any dotting and cutting in it. Uh, sorry, it has very little dotting and cutting in it. Um, but anyway, here is the tune from Eliza Ross, Note the High B. thing to put a high B at a real um, at real pace but like almost all of the high B's and C's uh, in the Ross manuscript go from high A to high B and high C like they go in sequence which is the only way it's really doable there's no jumps between like E and high B I have not looked at it exhaustively just the tunes that I've kind of taken note of um, which makes me think all the more that oh this is a intentional choice here or this is reflecting highland piping anyway let's look at uh, William Gunn setting so this is an 1840s uh, setting or 1850s um, can't remember which uh, anyway William Gunn setting um, quite a bit different from both different still there's a, a setting of um a person playing it on practice channel james nicholson is playing it in the older style it says um that finley mccray did in poetry on practice channel so it's a recording from 1954 and it doesn't sound like either or any of these things it's one of these incredibly embellished versions uh i've got it playing in the background here just a little bit i don't want to play it alone because of permissions um but just to encourage you to go check it out kind of reminds me one of the other things that i really like about um kind of my chat with barry was the talk about putting in kern lewis into reels that that seem to be kind of the norm for cape breton uh players he's got a monster setting of real talk in um play it like you sing it but play it like you sing it is not wire bound so it's sort of hard to have it open and i didn't really have time to learn it and i'm gonna have a whole episode of real of talk at some point because it's such an important tune um i think there's a big monster essay about Real of Tullock coming out in the Common Stock magazine, or maybe it's Tullock Gorham, one of those two tunes. Um, anyway, so I'm, I'm going to talk about Real of Tullock next season, um, but right after Barry and I talked, I wound up kind of couldn't control myself, but just played, uh, was playing Real of Tullock a lot, doing a bunch of different uh, experimenting with Kron Lewis. Of course, I didn't record any of that, and it's been like two weeks since then, so uh, here's just a quick kind of run through of real of Tullock. the reason this is such a cool tune i kind of assume that everybody um 
has already been doing this work longer than I have, but Reel of Taluk, it shows up in Donald McDonald's collection of Pibrock. The One of the coolest things about Donald McDonald's collection of Pibrock, uh, which was published in 1828, is it begins with all of the best dance tunes. And his reason for doing this is to sort of make sure that everybody understands the notation system he's doing. So these are like the absolute most common, everybody knows how to play these dance tunes, assuming that if you already look at this collection of music and you understand how to play the tune when you see the title, that will help you learn how to read sheet music. And then, you know, you can apply that to Pibrock and the rest of the collection. So there's just like a little bit of dance music at the beginning of this book um, that's mostly a, a Pibrock collection. Anyway, he has the real Tulloch in there, and he mentions that it's the favorite of all the dance tunes, and it's always played last because it's so favorite. And it's been that way as, as long as anyone can remember. So I always tried to finish my, you know, programs with Real of Tulloch, and it's still... It's a really important tune to me for talking about the history of piping, but it's not a very, like, his version of it isn't particularly interesting to me. I've always been like, wow, this is the best tune. Um, but the reason I want to do a whole episode on it, like, David Young has this mammoth setting of, like, I think 15 to 20 variations or something of it. And looking at um, the McNeil setting that Barry, I think it's in the McNeil manuscript, uh, that Barry has in play, like you sing it, it's again a really long, interesting uh, variation set. So definitely going to talk about Real of Telic in a future episode. Um, it's one of the many episodes that I have like half recorded, uh, especially from that Hibernian Muse and... Um, yeah, those two muse, the Caledonian muse and Hibernian muse, I wound up finding, like, I think there's two tunes in there that are clearly real of Tulloch by different names, which sent me on a deep dive, and yeah, got, got too much distraction. Anyway, here's a quick run of real of Tulloch, Donald McDonald setting, uh, first time through, or first two settings, and then just me doing the Kronlua variation uh, of my own kind of design. So uh, thanks, Barry, for just awesome chat. And thanks, everyone. I've gotten a lot of nice feedback, um, like very positive. Um, it's just it's just so nice to hear from folks that they are enjoying the episodes and getting something out of it. Barry's conversation, uh, that episode had a way bigger audience than anything I've done so far in the first um, 24 hours. I think it kind of, I think it had gotten like 200 downloads within the weekend that it launched. Um so it was clearly well-received and awesome. Like, it was, yeah, just so thankful uh, to have Barry's books and uh, chat with them. Uh, okay, so, and the other reason I'm thankful is that it has driven me to Eliza Ross's manuscript, and that is such a cool collection. So uh, let's look at some more tunes uh, from the Ross's manuscript here. Uh, I think we're going to go next with... Um, this is the big foot of the deceitful one, or sweet one. I'm not sure if this is a, a, a word that means the same thing in Gaelic uh, that doesn't 
make sense to us in English necessarily. This is, again, to go on an Ojibwe language rant. Love and pity are the same word in Ojibwe, which is a hard thing to understand. So maybe sweet and deceitful are the same thing uh, in Gaelic. Again, if you look at the uh, Ross manuscript uh, link, you can read all these things. Um, but yeah, in the in the notes here, it says this is a dancing tune, and it seems uh, reminiscent of the Northumbrian dance tune, Dance to Your Daddy. Um, so hey, love these tunes that show up in a bunch of different places. So anyway, here is the big foot of the deceitful one. And again, you won't believe it. There's some high notes. Whistle. This is a tune uh, called uh, another one from Elizabeth Ross's manuscript. It is simply called um, Dark Girl of the Sheep on Whistle. We'll do it. Yeah, so Dark Girl of the Sheep, uh, looking at the the notes again, uh, according to Roddy Cannon, uh, he thinks, he thought that there were some similar motifs um, between a little-known Pebrook called The Frisky Lover, as it appears in Angus Mackay's Pipe Music Manuscript, uh, where it is called The Frisky Courtier. So, I don't know, should have looked into that, but no time now. Uh, lovely little tune, though, and would fit on pipes. Uh, all right, next we're going to do another tune that would fit well on pipes, uh, again with a high note, uh, that is Donald Shaw and Margaret, and again I didn't have time to record this on pipes. I was kind of looking through this collection while my wife was asleep, and so I recorded a bunch on whistle, and then the day has been a day, and so I find myself recording a bunch of Highland Pipe tunes anyway. Um, in the middle of recording the episode, but I need, I need to finish so I can pack to go. Uh, anyway, so here is Donald Shaw and Margaret.
So the notes for that tune say that the, the title for the reel was added um, in a cursive hand, kind of after the fact a little bit, maybe contemporaneously though. Um, again, it says, you know, this would fit uh, a tone lower on the pipes. And I have to say, I tried recording this and um, like the, the high B isn't hard, like it's a fine place for it, but it doesn't actually sound particularly good on pipes. And I don't know if that's just my pipes were kind of going out of tune um, as I was doing it. Uh, it sounds sounds a little bit better on whistle than it does on pipes, but definitely something I might look into a little bit more. Uh, but once again, interesting tune has some um, thorough concordances with some um, portobello and Hebridean dancing measures and some other places. So. Definitely worth taking a peek at these notes. All right, and uh, that was it. That was it. That's the last uh, Eliza Ross tune. Uh, should have done a drum roll or something. Um, so yeah, this episode has been a little bizarre. Um, one of the things that I was really thankful for with the Pay the Pipe Maker album was just kind of looking through that country dance collection again, and one of the sets I really enjoy is uh, kind of the Fowler set, is how I think of it, but it was just like three tunes in one country dance book that I think worked really well on Ellen Pipes, and there's another set of tunes that are on the same page of the Straight and Scalern uh, country dance book uh, from 1771 or 74, I think, but it's called Cave of Enchantment and Exeter Change. Lovely tunes. I recorded them last year, um, but uh, I, I'm just a better Ellen Piper now, and so I wanted to give them another go because I think they might wind up on the Best of Season 5 album, so I don't forget them again because I kind of forgot them until they came up on like a Facebook memory. So here is um, Cave of Enchantment and Exeter Change. Thank you. 
So unfortunately or not, I love that tune. I love those tunes. I think it works really good as an Illin pipe set. Um, definitely want to kind of work with it a little bit. The sound levels are kind of goofy with those regulators. Um, but I started looking at Cave of Enchantment for Highland Pipes 2, and it just, all of a sudden I was playing it and all sorts of funky things. I've already posted it on social media stuff. And I kind of, I love it. I love it. And I can't really put the same tune on the album. <laughs> twice i don't think maybe i can they don't sound really anything alike um but it's a lovely lovely tune if there's anything from this season that you really want to see on the album please reach out uh it's you know one of my favorite things last year about uh, or earlier this year putting together oysterize rant was uh asking hey what should i put on this and people saying just put the entire halloween episode on like that kind of made my made my day uh made my month maybe made the year. I'm not sure. Um, so yeah, if there's any tunes that you find that you keep on like trying to dig out and find in the podcast, if you're going through the back catalog, trying to listen to stuff, um, and you want it on an album, let me know. It'd be awesome. Love to hear from you. Um, okay. So when I was playing around with Cave of Enchantment, I wound up adding another tune to it. So I'm not sure. One of the movies of my childhood was uh, Mio and the Land of Far Away, or just The Land of Far Away is how we called it. It's, a, I think, a Swedish or Danish um, children's movie. It was Christian Bale's, like, first full-time role. He wasn't the star. He was a co-lead. But there's this tune. They, they all play the pan flute in there. Christopher Lee is in it. It's a, it's a mess of a, of a movie you can watch on YouTube. Um, it's sort of great, actually. Like... It's kind of your bog-standard fantasy kid bullied, lives with his aunt, finds out he's a magical prince, goes to a faraway land, has to fight some evil wizard, uh, played by Christopher Lee, uh, named Kato. Such a good name for a villain, Kato. Um, anyway, but they have a pan flute that shows up regularly playing this tune. I'll just play your clip from the movie. It's on YouTube. A whispering well. That's what it's called. who you are, Mio. I've begun to realize that, but I still don't know who everyone is. What's your name? Nono, and these are my sheep. What strange music. Please teach me how to play it. Sure. Here, these belong to my two brothers but they will not be needing them anymore. Just put the flute to your mouth and listen how the wind sings to the leaves. Nono taught us how to play the strange tune. 
for real. You just want me to put the whole movie on here as an audiobook, right? I mean, doesn't that just reek of 1987 children's fantasy movie? Um, anyway, if you haven't watched it, I, I haven't rewatched the whole thing recently, but I did in the last 10 years, and it sort of held up as a kid's movie. Um, anyway, cool tune, um, cool movie. Link to the YouTube video on the show notes so you can watch the whole thing if uh, you miss some good fantasy genre stuff. Um, awkwardly, I'm not playing it exactly the same as uh, in the movie. I It's just in my head. Like, the music is just in my head, and so I, I took a couple notes out. Um, but anyway, what I did was I, I took uh, Cave of Enchantment uh, and kind of my setting for it using a bunch of funky notes and then added Mio, the Mio tune afterwards. I think it's really cool sounding, um, and it's not just because it uses high Bs and Cs, but, I mean, that doesn't hurt it. Um, cool sounding tunes. I'm starting to get a little worried that just every tune that I write is sort of the same thing, but I guess everybody's got a style, so that won't matter. Um, and I didn't write this. Uh, it just, Cave of Enchantment sort of sounds eerily familiar to me of certain parts of um, John Charles's fireproof bagpipes, so... I don't know. Anyway, some good tunes. So that's going to wrap it up. Um, thank you for listening um, to season five of Waitress Talks Bagpipe and History Podcast. Um, I've got uh, I've got a lot of things recorded that didn't make it onto the show this season. I'm thinking about releasing little kind of short episodes, um, like kind of during the intermission. I'm planning to not have a full episode out in January, but I've got a bunch of kind of Valentine's Day sort of romance tunes so might make sense to have our first episode back be a valentine's day episode um like i said if you are missing tunes or missing me uh i've got a ojibwe language podcast now ojibwe moda podcast will be linked to that in the show notes and then also there's 10 bonus episodes in the patreon feed and i think i'm going to wind up putting an 11th bonus slash study episode up um shortly here so there's quite a lot of quite a lot of podcasts over there to to check out on the bonus on the patreon feed too that's patreon.com slash way to twog um and yeah send me emails if you've got anything that you're really hoping to hear on the best of season five album uh bannocks of barley meal or if uh, there's something that you want to make sure that we do in season six i'm hoping to do I've talked to a couple pipe makers already um, about doing episodes where we chat with them. So looking forward to recording a chat with Bill Hanneman next year and uh, also with uh, Robert Felsberg, the quiet piper, and um, talking to some other folks too. Just haven't heard back yet, um, but certainly those two. Um, yeah, so that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to. I'm hoping to have maybe another kind of episode and... There's the slight glimmer of hope in my soul that I'm going to have a guest host or co-host occasionally next year, too. Uh, We'll see. (laughs) A guy can dream, right? Um, But yeah, so so anyway, there's there's some stuff changing. Um, I'm going to try to keep to the every other week. Um, Yeah, doing that Ojibwe language podcast and sitting down in an afternoon and having a month's worth of uh, episodes recorded just hit me real hard in the why can't I get the bagpipe podcast to work that way uh feels but um but yeah I, I do need to keep it to every every other week uh for the foreseeable future uh when when we come back for season six uh, so I stand a chance at actually writing a dissertation getting a job um and finding a, a job uh, that I can you know do a bagpipe podcast 
uh, and and not feel horribly guilty about doing a bagpipe podcast. That'd be sweet. But I got to write that dissertation first. Made some good breakthroughs. Didn't write two chapters, but kind of realized that, you know, between my thesis, which is 100 pages, and the 150 pages of papers I have written while I've been in grad school that are all kind of centered around my topic. Like, that actually is a better dissertation than me trying to find some magical new research um, to write about. Um, anyway, this is grad school dilemma uh, rambling. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to the podcast, for hanging out so long, uh, so many hours. It's, uh, yeah, love hearing from everyone, love seeing those downloads every day. Um, and I've just been blown away by the generosity of everybody's support on the Patreon feed and now people buying um, both albums. I've sold a copy of Oyster Wise Rant recently, which is just wild. Um, like I said, I'll have some links in the show notes if you want to uh, pick up hard copies of that. Um, it doesn't look like Oyster Wise Rant is going to get here in time for me to see if it works, but uh, if uh, it shows up, I might have somebody come and look at it to make sure it actually plays, and then I'll post a link to that on the Facebook feed for the podcast as well. So anyway, cheers, everyone. Here is uh, to go out, uh, Cave of Enchantment plus Mio's tune uh, from Mio and the Land of Far Away, as played by me on Highland Pipes, and we will see you in 2022.